Welcome to Fifth Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode, I catch up with Max Simkoff, CEO of Fifth Wall portfolio company, State's Title, which uses technology to simplify the title and escrow process. Max explains how the COVID-19 crisis has given the real estate and lending industries a wake-up call as it relates to technology adoption, with antiquated processes being forced to either adapt or fail customers. Enjoy the discussion. All right, so Max, thanks for joining. Uh, Max, CEO of State's Title, uh, one of Fifth Wall's first investments. Um, And Max, can you just kind of start maybe by just telling us what it is that State's Title does. Sure. State's Title is focused on delivering an instant title and closing experience as part of closing a mortgage. Uh, The mortgage process is unnecessarily complex and filled with a massive amount of friction, frustration, and expense. Uh, Also a lot of paperwork still today. And State's Title manages uh, most of what is typically called the closing process. So We uh, underwrite title insurance using a predictive algorithm that we've created. And then we um, do all the closing tasks involved um, with closing the loan. So everything from setting up the escrow to dispersing all of the funds to printing the loan docs, getting signatures, um, recording the mortgage, paying the transfer taxes. And so in a nutshell, what we do that's unique is we've used machine intelligence to remove most of that friction, frustration, and also now we're removing a lot of expense. And our ultimate vision is to be able to make the entire closing process for a mortgage happen at the tap of the button. Done. And, and Max, how would you describe your business right now? Like uh, April 9th, I feel like we actually have to list days right now. Right. You right might now want to look, yeah, you might want to ask me again in an hour and, and I can yeah. get different a- April 9th at 9.15 a.m. Mountain. Okay. Um, we'll how's business right now? Um, look, business overall for us uh, is, is going well. Uh, there's there's a couple aspects to this. One is the we we made a conscious investment since the beginning of the founding of the company to invest heavily in rolling our solution out first for the lender market. So all of the innovations that we've delivered around instant title and closing, we we really went all in on refi, which seemed like a very weird thing to do given that you know we went to market with our first product in early 2018. Uh, which is when many people thought, you know, that was going to be the low point for interest rates um, and and we would see them gradually tick back up. And so that, you know, our ability to deliver a differentiated experience there and offer instant title and closing for refi and some of the more recent technology investments we accelerated have put us in a really good position there because uh, the refi market continues, even in the current situation, to be quite healthy. We do have a large part of our business, though, that is uh, retail um, distributed, right, through the um, title agency that we acquired from Lennar. And even though a lot of the retail business is also shifted to refi, we still have a pretty good portion of that that is purchase mortgage focused. Um, And as can be expected, that volume has dropped precipitously um, just in the last few weeks. So um, that's a part of the business that we're expecting to see continue to decline pretty significantly. Um, likely for an, uh, an interim period of time, uh, you know, you could call it 
stubbornness or luck, but our focus on refi uh, as the kind of flagship part of the business where we're releasing all the newest technologies, I think has left us in a pretty good position. And Max, the, you know, one of the themes we've focused a lot on um, is the digitization of basically every real estate transaction process. Um, and so as you kind of read the press today, you see a lot of information about virtual viewings and digitization of uh, digitizing and doing remote notary and everything. And I guess one of the questions I have is, do you see this as kind of just a moment in time? Like this is, this is just a pragmatic that people are doing this or is this a wake up call to some extent for the industry? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, it's beyond even a wake up call. This is a, we are witnessing an unprecedented overnight shift in the very structural foundation of the real estate market. And I'll give you a couple examples. Um, the, one of the most difficult uh, parts of the mortgage process to get right is, is the closing. And one of the biggest obstacles to doing that uh, for the last hundred years has been the involvement of a notary in closing a mortgage. And this has always been a personal pet peeve of mine. I don't really understand why we still use notaries for mortgage closings because we have much more modern day technology. Um, and there was this thing called remote online notarization as a concept, which is basically having a notary do a notarization session over webcam using digital technology. It allows you to close the mortgage without any paperwork. And for the last 10 years, state by state, there has been legislation that has been gradually moving its way through state legislatures and getting approved. And as of like four or five weeks ago, there were maybe 15 states or so nationally who'd approved remote online notarization statutes. In the last week, we've seen uh, an emergency order from Governor Cuomo make remote online notarization legal overnight in one of the most important real estate markets in the country. And there's now a federal bill that's making it that's making it, making its way out of committee sponsored by Senator Warner in Virginia to make this nationwide legal overnight. I mean, it, it would, and it will happen. I mean, it's only a matter of days now. This is like, it eliminates five years of regulatory inertia to allow digital closings to happen. Um, and so I think you're, it's not a fad. This is not like a point in time thing. The, the fact that the collective national psyche has been negatively impacted to the extent that it has and that, and the, horrible toil that this health crisis is taking on this country's economy mean that all of the old school inertia and, um, you know, people being wedded to paper-based processes are, 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 they're being stripped away like almost overnight. And it's, it's creating necessity. It's driving innovation. that's going to be here for good. And, and I imagine part of that is obviously on the legislative and, and the regulatory side, right? Just, just expediting processes and being more, uh, permissive and being more tech forward to allow companies like yours or anything that enables remote closing of any real estate transaction to work. Right. right. On the other side of it, you have the, the private sector. And I'm curious, like from your perspective, like what would be the advice you would give maybe two different audiences? One would be brokers, so just residential brokers. Like if, if you own a residential brokerage today, what should you be doing for your business to future proof it in light of what just happened? Yeah, I mean, the advice would be that you have to now live in a world where every aspect of everything you do must be digital, from the way that you market and source leads, to the way that you show homes, to the way that you manage the title and closing process, to the way that you deliver access to the new homeowner, right? Like this concept of showing up at a closing to wet sign all of your documents so you can get your physical keys, that 
is going to become a thing of the past. People don't want to do that. It's not safe to do that. And it's also not efficient. Um, and the good news for, for residential real estate brokers is all of the technology to enable them to do that is here. This is, we do not need to develop some game-changing new technology platform or some new solution to enable them to have a complete end-to-end -end digital flow to do their job from anywhere to service any client and do everything from market homes to get them to see homes, to get them to purchase or sell a home. Honestly, it's possible to do that without ever meeting a client. That is the world that we're gonna live in. And, um, and so my advice to, to residential real estate brokers would be to accept that as a given, not as a, it, it, it's not like a, you know, an optimal way to run a business that maybe some people will do. It's going to be the necessary way that many, if not most brokers do business not that long after this we're done with this and and max obviously you've you know been a part of one of the biggest you know strategic transactions obviously lennar one of pitbull's lps and you consummated this amazing partnership and transaction to accelerate your business and so i'm curious if if you were to look at the home building industry broadly like what advice would you give them right now yeah i mean i'm biased uh because of our partnership and so you know i would summarize my answer by home builders should do what Lennar is doing. Uh, and I, let me be more succinct. I would say home builders should do what Lennar started to do. Honestly, they embarked upon this journey several years ago now, and they've been picking up uh, a lot of steam behind it um, just in the last year. But you have to, much like the residential real estate brokers, you have to look at the whole process, right? How are you marketing homes to potential buyers? Um, what is the digital lead generation experience look like? It's no longer about, um, you know, having salespeople uh, in, engage with people in buying centers. It's finding leads online and converting uh, interest to opportunity in a digital pipeline, and then mining those leads and getting them converted to opportunities to close sales and having everything from your, your own mortgage operation, if you have a captive, or a partnership with the at scale mortgage operation be fully digital, enable that process to have instant pre-approval, um, instant underwriting of the loan, instant closing, instant title, everything fully remote, fully digital, right? Like, and again, it's clear where we fit into that process because of this partnership that we built with Lennar. You know, for what it's worth, I'd say we're, we're seeing a, a huge bifurcation just of how corporates have reacted to this. Uh, it, to some extent, there's kind of the, 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 like the Luddite view of, look, tech's falling apart. Why should we be investing in tech? All these companies are young and too high risk. And on the other side, you have people really leaning into what Lennar did back in you know, 2017, which was kind of map out this vision of a one-click close. How can you effectively digitize every component transaction that goes into closing a home? And can you, can you identify new companies into which you can structure strategic partnerships or make investments and you really have this constellation, which creates synergies in how they've obviously built their business. And it's actually, I think, really accelerated your business as well. And what we're seeing is almost a, a huge division in how corporates are approaching that. Like to some extent, there's people are seeing this as a time to sit this out. And to some extent, people are really leaning in. Yeah, you, you got, I mean, look, I think it's always helpful to look at examples of companies that were started um, during a downturn. And it used to be that it was, you know, you could look at companies that were started uh, in 2000 or 2001, and there aren't a lot of them that were started that really survived the, you know, the first wave, but those that did were really strong. I think there's now 
a lot of a lot of more relevant, more recent examples of companies that were started during the financial recession um, that were primarily digital businesses. The best example of these I like to give is a company called Okta. Um, Okta does what's called identity management, right? This is like a great example of where they looked at the proliferation of enterprise software applications uh, in software as a service. And during the financial crisis, they basically were like, you know, how do we start a capital light business that provides the most advantageous digital layer to all of the enterprise software that all of the enterprises are going to use when we come out of this? Um, and, and I think the co-founder of Okta has publicly told this story, but, you know, he pitched like 25 venture funds on this idea in 2008, I think, or 2009. And he got 24 no's right? Hard no's, not like, oh, this might be interesting. Let's have another meeting. It was like first meeting is a disaster. Um, and, you know, they finally got a yes. Now it's lucky that, that yes was from Andreessen Horowitz. This is one of Andreessen Horowitz's first deals they ever did. And they led the series A. Um, but you, you look at the shareholder value accretion in that business that happened exponentially just in the last three or four years as a result of them starting scrappy, having a fully digital business that was going to adapt to the transforming landscape of an industry that would be forever changed by that period of time. And, you know, Okta is like, last I checked, like a $14 billion market cap business um, off of an IPO that was probably two and a half years ago at 2 billion market cap. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I, by the way, I mean, I fully believe Okta will be a $50 billion market cap business probably inside the next several years. And so I just think like that kind of mindset is like, Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's easy to look back through the lens of time and say, of course, that was a great time to start a capital-efficient business that was going to take advantage of an industry that was transforming its foundation overnight. But that's exactly the kind of opportunity that the real estate industry is probably going to see like 100 of in the next 12 to 18 months. If you were to look at this from the, the flip side, right, so from the perspective of startups, um, you know, it, it feels like the, the kind of luster of the um, – extremely fast growth, low margin, loss making businesses that kind of fueled some of the growth two years ago is, is gone. And there's in some ways been a retrenchment towards the more stable proven businesses that have are either profitable or have a trajectory towards, you know, toward, towards profitability. So do you think the psychology of, of founders will change as well in terms of how they think about engaging with incumbents and corporates? Obviously you from the very beginning have yeah. focused on how do I build an organization that is partnership ready with the biggest incumbents in the real estate space, specifically home building and the financial sector? Do you think you'll see more partnerships from the startup community because founders get the merits of this? I hope so. Um, I think we've got the right trends moving in the right direction, which are namely that it's going to be harder for founders to come by capital. Uh, they will need to find um, more lean business models. And I, again, we've found a, a, a fantastic um, success model in this with Lennar is like one of the best ways to, to um, make your business capital efficient and de-risk your go-to-market success is to partner with an incumbent, right? It's like a, there's like a mutual symbiotic relationship, right? Like we bring um, forward thinking, innovative, new creative technology driven operating model to the table they bring over a hundred years of industry experience, significant distribution channels, um, and an intimate understanding of where the, the, the real structure of the problem lies that we're trying to solve. 
And that, again, especially in this market, like I just don't know why more founders wouldn't want to go that route. And I think there was some stigma attached to it, um, it, particularly over the last four or five years where capital was just so freely available and venture investors who are not sector focused like Fifth Wall Hall, um, you know, they were throwing so many other things at founders that were quite frankly, I think, distracting, like, you know, creative deal structures that enabled them to spend more money, um, you know, specialized service models to help their portfolio do things that, that, you know, they didn't have enough time to pay attention to, like that stuff all gets stripped away. And now it's kind of old school, but like what matters is the business model. Right. And what's what, and when, and when I say the business model matters, like, I mean, gross margins, right? Like what I'm really, really excited to see is that I think founders are going to focus less on creative interpretations of metrics, community adjusted EBITDA, right? Um, or whatever the metric was that Groupon used in their IPO, I'll never forget. It was like a, some kind of um, adjusted gross margin that like found a way of adding back COGS, like a significant amount of COGS. Like I think you're going to find founders now to say, what is our gross margin? And can we have the most um, capital efficient customer acquisition model possible, which I think is, is uniquely enabled by partnering with corporates. And I think a lot of those companies are going to build the best businesses out there. Yeah. And I think you'll, you'll probably also see this kind of blending of what, you know, was previously characterized as like private, you know, generalist venture capital and corporate venture capital. Um, meaning I, I do think that the corporates that are taking this seriously are, are viewing this as like an existential moment in time, right? Where, they have the ability to do in two years or even six months in some cases, what would have taken five years to do. And as you said, there's regulatory tailwinds behind that. There's consumer preference tailwinds behind that. There's capital markets tailwinds behind that. There's a lot of reasons why kind of the moment it feels like now for corporates to kind of embrace this change. Totally. And look, I, I mean, corporate VC is an overall category, you know, it, it's funny how much people talk about like, well, what's it going to be, right? Like, you know, is it going to develop this way or that way? And it's like, well, but it's here and it's gotten larger as a category and it's starting to demonstrate real success in a lot of areas. So, um, you know, this, this is an investment model that is getting better. And if it's done the right way, it, 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 it is, I mean, again, it's a controversial thing to say, and I don't mean any offense to generalist VCs, but like, if you specialize your investment paradigm around deep domain expertise and market knowledge, and then you de-risk investments with well-structured partnerships with the very stakeholders in the ecosystem that can king make companies, if that's done correctly, it's just far better than a generalist VC model, right? It, but it has to be done correctly. And, and just in the case of, of Lennar and, and probably the home building industry, I mean, there's not that many companies that kind of emerged as the winners within the real estate transaction space. Yeah, uh, you can you could almost plot them, and they were almost knowable in 2017, right? And um, we were obviously huge advocates of States Title and Hippo and Blend and many of the companies that have come to partner with Lennar. But I think there's almost this view that it's not knowable that you can't know, you can't predict the future, you can't predict the winners. But I would say one that's the wrong premise. And the second thing, it, it completely misses the point that there's this opportunity to king make for these businesses. Yeah. Um, and I also, by the way, I don't, I, I, I don't agree that it's unknown. Like, I think, again, this is where I think we've gotten distracted over the last several years. Like it's easy to, it's easy to get distracted by companies that get the most press, but 
the metrics are kind of hazy, right? But when you find companies that are getting the most press and their metrics are good and they're delivering quarter over quarter, I think it's actually fairly easy to see which companies are going to king make. Like, and, and, the, and the distance between winners, fast followers, and casualties, and we talk about this a lot in our, our sales presentations. Like we talk to mortgage lenders and we're like, hey, we're delivering instant title and closing because consumers expect instant experiences, period. Like this isn't about a mortgage thing. They expect instant entertainment from Netflix. They expect instant food delivery from Instacart. They expect instant everything from Amazon. I mean, it almost almost feels like that's the thing that I think many corporates could miss is that this is obviously a unique moment in time where we're all, you know, we're all quarantined at home, but it's, it's the psychological shift in consumer preferences that I actually think a large part of which will be durable um, and be persistent that are just radically change these archaic business models. And you had an amazing stat about uh, food delivery before we got on the call, actually. It was, I mean, it's like I saw, I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's something like, you know, like 2% of frequent grocery consumers used Instacart like five or six weeks ago. And now it's like 17% or something. I mean, this stuff, uh, let me give you another example that I, I, again, I've been using as I talk to mortgage lenders, because we talked to a mortgage, a lot of mortgage lenders are like, I know, but like, it's not that easy to make it instant and do this or that. And I'm like, listen, I, you know, I got sick three or four weeks ago and I needed to see a doctor. And given the current situation, like I did not want to have to go into a doctor's office. Right. And so I downloaded the app for Sutter Health. So just keep this in mind keep this in consideration for a second. This is a regional health system in Northern California that most people in the United States have never heard of. And they have an app that I downloaded. And when I downloaded that app, I made an appointment to see a physician's assistant that I saw 30 seconds later on a video visit. They diagnosed all of my symptoms correctly, had a prescription cut and sent to my pharmacy down the street that I could pick up five minutes later. And that's healthcare, right? Like that is the new normal. People are going to expect that coming out of this. So if you're in a business where you think that your consumers aren't going to expect that whatever experience you offer, they're going to want it instantly, on demand from anywhere, from any device, like you're just, you've got your head in the sand, right? I almost think anecdotally, I set my parents up for the first time with Amazon. Um, And I think that they viewed Amazon as this like big amorphous, confusing thing. They they didn't know how to use it. And I wrote it down on a notepad, right? And so they now have it next to their computer. And they were literally just shocked by the idea that they could click on something and in three clicks, it would arrive at their door. (laughs) And, And what I'd be so curious about is like, you know, just looking at retail, for example, retail in of all U.S. retail, roughly online represents, they estimate between 10 and 15%. So the vast majority of retail is actually happening offline. But we know that online has been taking market share from it. I wonder if you looked at how many people make, on average, make their first Amazon purchase in a given year, and how many people in the last six weeks made their first Amazon purchase. Yeah. My guess is it's probably years like yeah. the numbers for 2025 just yeah. happened in 2020 yeah um and that i think is going to have like consequences across every part of the business so it's like it feels like every broker that's doing a digital transaction right now yeah. um they're going to realize oh this has been around for a while i can't believe i didn't use this and there's, there's almost been this leapfrog effect but now the technology is so good that what they're adopting for the first time isn't some experimental solution. It's a, it's a, it's a durable long-term solution. So. And it's, and, and it's a necessity. Like, again, it, 
the, the, the customer experience demands it. Like the, the clients of, of the modern day real estate broker uh, are just like every other human on this planet is going to be mentally scarred from this experience, right? Mm-hmm. It, you're going to see it in their, in their unwillingness to shake someone's hand even after we, we are long past this, right? Like the, and, and when, when the very nature of human behavior changes to expect a level of convenience and safety that may need to be activated on demand at any point in the future, it will force the industry to adapt. Yeah. Well, Max, thank you so much for, for joining. Um, obviously this is, it's odd that we're, <laughs> we're connecting over Zoom. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for uh, doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.